So tonight, the sermon is simply about this. We will thrive in college if we can find the peace of the gospel. If we can find the peace of the gospel, we will thrive. Hear the word of God and we'll get to it. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. Four, these are opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Let's pray and ask Him to bless our time. Uh, Father, you uh, bring peace uh, in the midst of times when our screens fall down, uh, in the midst of the times when our lives seem chaotic. You bring peace. You bring peace where there is none. You bring uh, wholeness and completion where there's brokenness and, and, and sorrow and disarray. Uh, Lord, would you, would you start to bring that tonight? Uh, would you speak to us? Lord, if, if, if a man speaks, we will, we will benefit none. But if you speak, there will be eternal ramifications. We ask you as we do every week, would you speak to us as we consider your word? Would your spirit breathe life into us as it breathed these words out many, many years ago? And we'll give you the glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're looking at how disharmony is a part of our world. And when we're talking about peace, we're not just talking about a lack of conflict. We're talking about wholeness. Peace is more than just lack of conflict. It's wholeness. And we experience disharmony, incompletion, and sorrow. And so we're going to look at three points tonight. Essentially, we want to, to get over our horizontal disharmony, that, that between people and us. We have a greater... Uh, disharmony between us and God, a lack of peace between us. And every strategy we can, can come with our mind to work harder and improve that actually makes it worse. And then we're going to look at how to, how to find true peace and peacemakers the only way possible. So we got to ask the question tonight, when we look at this, I mean, we're, we've, we're on the verge of a war in Syria, right? And we've got wars in our hearts, wars that we fight between fraternities, between neighbors, between roommates. And I just got to tell you guys about a time when I got actually got kicked out of a uh, Arena League football game. Okay, this is Arena 2 uh, in Little Rock, Arkansas. Um, it's, it's, it's terrible football. Um, Arkansas Twisters was the name of the team. They're, they're now defunct. Uh, but for one of the first ever Arkansas Twisters game in, in Little Rock, Arkansas, my dad and one of my best friends, Austin Perry, and I, 
uh, loaded up and went, to, got in the car and went to the game. Well, we got to the game, and at halftime, the Pikes and the SAEs from University of Arkansas at Little Rock were going to play a flag football game of eight-man football. Well, the Pikes were lacking a quarterback, and so they recruited me to be on their team, even though I, I went to a different school entirely. So I got to be the quarterback in a game on an arena football league field for a half or a halftime you know, show. And so our deal was the halftime show. It was really cool. So it lasted all of one offensive series. I dropped back to pass and threw a pass right into the end zone. It was beautiful. The best pass in the history of football, probably. You, would, you should have seen it. Well, <laughs> the cornerback, the cornerback on the team guarding my receiver interfered. And it was obvious to everyone. No one called it, though. So my guy started, you know, bickering with that guy, and they, they got into exchange uh, verbally. And then one guy, you know, drew on the other one. I think it was the other guy, and hit him. And they started pushing each other. And I was about the eighth or tenth guy in there to, to pull them off of each other. And I, I wasn't actually fighting, but I was pushing people and trying to get, get the thing broken up. I got kicked out of an arena league football game. And I was, my blood was boiling. I thought this was stupid. This is ridiculous. I can't believe he interfered. I mean, how could the other ref not call it? And so, you know. I lost my cool a little bit there too. Um, <laughs> with, with, with the wars that go on within us about ridiculous things such as flag football, and you've all been there, guys. You've all been driving in the fast lane and the old lady's in front of you and is oblivious to it, and you're like, get out of my way now. <laughs> get off the road. Like, you, like, just the, like driving brings it out of you, this disharmony against people. We've got wars in our hearts. Um, we've got disarray. Peace, again, is not just an absence of that disarray. It's actually feeling complete and whole in a world of disarray. That's, what, that's what's aimed at here. So when we're talking about verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit, we're looking at them one by one, y'all, and how the, the Spirit actually brings these into our hearts as we believe the gospel. First, we looked at love. We looked at joy. Tonight, we're looking at peace. We, look, we long for that completeness, but the, the fact of the matter is we live in a world of fear and shame. And that's what drives us all. Uh, we used to live in a garden of harmony. Our first parents did, Adam and Eve. And sin, when sin entered into the world, thanks to our first parents, um, we now are fearful of one another. We're ashamed of our sin. We've wrecked things. And I would say college is a particularly challenging time at driving you to feel incomplete, insecure, without peace. I've been there. I mean, look at it, guys. You spend months battling with professors every semester. Some of y'all are in the first semester of that. I'm glad you're here. Uh, the battle is this. You want to do the least amount of work required to earn the letter grades which will translate into numbers which will define you. That's the, that's the battle. And if you were to mess up one semester in one class, you're going to feel a peace deficit that you can't overcome, that shames on your record, that permanent record that follows you around. You know, uh, you, you, you sleep in one day, you miss that exam, you're going to feel it forever. You'll, you'll, you'll wake up with dreams that you've missed the exam. I still have those, exam, those nightmares. Well, you, you showed up for the, the final exam and you didn't study. You didn't know what's happening. Okay, and so that's one way of feeling that sort of shame. But this, is, this isn't Harvard, y'all guys. This is OU, okay? You didn't come here just to study. This is social campus. You came here to party. 
Didn't you? You know, you know, you know you're not going to Harvard. You want to meet people. You want to find somebody who will love you and that you can love. You want to make connections. You want to make friends. You don't just want to study. And so perhaps maybe you mess up one night, you drink too much, and you end up in bed with that guy or girl you shouldn't be with. And then then you've got the awkwardness of having to see that person on campus, maybe even your class, or even dealing with worse consequences than the awkwardness of that. Think about this example of of disharmony. You've got that moral ambiguity, uh, ambiguous ones, like uh, say you're two doors down from somebody in your dorm, or your apartment complex, and, and now you have to hide from that person because you don't know their name yet. Sorry, Callie, for, I forgot your name earlier. Um, it'd be much easier for me when I don't know your name to, to just avoid you and avoid that awkwardness of having to say, hey, I forgot your name, or I never bothered to ask you for your name. And so you're going to duck into your room or your apartment to get away from that. You've got a peace deficit. Things aren't right. Things aren't the way they should be. You've got anxiety because there's an infinite amount of outcomes every single day of your college life because thousands of people are available to go out with you on adventures. And you can end up anywhere, all over the place, having an epic time, but there is a great anxiety knowing that there are so many things to do. You could play sand volleyball. You could go to that party that you're invited to. You could go to Bible study. You could go, you could, you know, just hang out, watch a movie, uh, and, and order pizza. You could watch YouTube. Uh, you, could, you could go bowling. You could do homework. You could go to a club. I mean, you, there are infinite amounts of things to do, all kinds of clubs. There's unlimited options of what you can do. You're wait, always, like, worried you're going to miss out on the better offer. You know, you, there's a fear to commit to something because there might be something even better. Okay, so there's majors upon majors. There's career paths upon career paths you could think about, options of what you could do. You are all over the place in options. Maybe you're studying medieval history. Is anyone studying that? I am. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There are like three jobs for that, Phil, okay, <laughs> in the world. And, and, you're, and you're worried you might not be able to you know, talk about any major. There's like only so many jobs. There you go. I thank you for holding that up, by the way. That's awesome. Um, you're, gonna, you're worried you might not get a job. Maybe you're going to end up working at McDonald's with $40,000 in student loans, living in your parents' basement, and no one's ever going to love you. Those are real thoughts that are probably going on in some of your minds. Okay, that's disharmony, that's incompleteness, that's lack of peace. Now, those are all horrible horizontal fears and shames, but there's a greater thing driving it, a vertical fear. Second thing, when you have the God question, Okay, the great vertical fear happens. I think it actually long-term trumps all the horizontal fears you could have, the fears between people. The last thing you want is to be wrong about God. You're thinking, is there a God? How do I know I know the right God? Um, If there really is a God and we're not good with Him, we're in a mess of trouble, aren't we? If the Bible is true and God made everything like the Bible says he did, and he knew you even before your parents knew one another. Think about that. He's eternal, and his mind is always, in his mind, he's always known a you. He's always known a you. Even as history's rolling along and you haven't even been known yet, God has a you in his mind. He knew you. And even after you're long gone, and as we say here at OU, 
Sooner dead, right? Even after Sooner dead for hundreds of years, and everyone on this planet may have forgotten about you, you are in the mind of God. He's eternal. God will still know you. If there is a being such as that who has no beginning and, and no ending, and he's aware of you, then you've got to reckon with that. It's impossible for you to fly under the radar of such a being. It's impossible for you to skate through his world as you skated through elementary school, middle school, and high school, and you maybe are having a little trouble with college, but you can't skate through on God, a God like that. God's got to be dealt with. And I believe that the root of all the great sense of insecurity, incompleteness, and unrest in you is actually that deep within your soul, you're not ultimately at rest with God. Yeah, classes can make you anxious. They can. That's what makes us anxious immediately and at the front of our minds. But do you ever ask yourself, why do classes make you anxious? Why do they do that? They make us anxious because there's always more we could do. I love having a job. I love having a job because there's an end to my day. It really is. When you get a syllabus for 12 to 18 hours of classes and they all have more reading and work than we could ever imagine, and even there, there's always time you could be reviewing notes, creating study guides to study more. But amidst the chaos of trying to balance organic chemistry with orchestra and social demands, and you've got a speech to write for communications class, and you've got math homework to do and laundry to do, and grandma's on your case telling you to go to RUF, all that. You've got, to get, you've got to get a job to pay for insurance. You've got to get gas. You've got to get books. And you've got to have fun. In the midst of all that, though, and, and all these things that are unresolved in your life, and this, all the studying you could be doing, what's, what's exacerbating everything is that deep in your soul, you might feel unresolved with God. Everyone us, every one of us is dealing with a deep sense of in, unsettlement and completeness and insecurity all the time. Because we think of God as somebody we can placate through doing more good than we can do bad. That's our answer. We look at this, look, we look at this list of the fruit of the Spirit, and we want to solve that problem every time. We look at what can we do to make it happen. Um, I would say that, that when, we don't have, when we think it's a, a works-based system to, to work to God, it's like walking through life. Walking through life then is like without walking through life without assurance that God loves you and is at peace with you is like walking out on the beach the first day of spring break. Okay, the first day of spring break you've inevitably added a freshman fifteen, you have a farmer's tan, and you're anxious about what people are going to think about you in a swimsuit for the first time. Okay, you feel exposed on every side and you're under scrutiny. And what do you do? Everyone does this. You suck in. Everyone does that. Do you not? You suck in. No. Jacob doesn't need to. He's got the abs. You know you do that, though. Girls, you, you get on the beach and you pop out the booty and stick out the chest. This is what you do. You accentuate yourself for the sake of the photo that goes on Instagram. Everyone does that. Boys, don't get off easy on that either because... We flex our abs and chest ever so slightly to make it look like we're not doing it. And if you're really sly, you might do this little number where you kind of cross your arms and push out your biceps a little bit to add a little bit of muscle tone. 
Everyone does that to subtly accentuate yourself. You take selfies, but you only do it if you have the right lighting. You do this not because you deeply desire to contribute to Instagram's overall package, okay, and to their bandwidth and to all the space on there, and you think it's going to be helpful. It's that you deeply desire peace, a place of acceptance. You want to feel liked. You want to feel that horizontally because vertically you just don't know. And so we will settle for the easier option. The easier option is to impress people with cheap assurance of looks and likes. Ladies, when, this Saturday, we're going to go tailgating. It's going to be awesome. Just to, I love to, uh, to actually do commercials for our events at RUF during a sermon. That's always good, right? Um, so we're going to go tailgating 2 to 6, Stinson and Jenkins. It's going to be wonderful. Now at tailgating, you'll notice that you can throw on a dress, ladies, and some boots, and men will look at you, okay? And your tendency is to, is to, is to really walk a little lighter when you notice that you're noticed, and that's what we all want to be, right? Horizontally accepted. I mean, so that we can overcome the longing for acceptance with God. That there's a, there's a peace that we can find, we can control. Because we all want to be able to control what we, what we, the things we can't. But the problem is, is that this peace we work so hard for is going to disappoint. Um, you're going to end up in two places. One, if you go all the time for the... For, the, for all the things you can control and you can work harder for, you're going to be like, what's next? Tom Brady, Tom Brady of all people, has been there. He's won three Super Bowls. He has the hot wife. He's got the, the dream. He's got our respect, men. We only talk about sports, theology, the weather, and girls. And, like, Tom Brady covers all that because he plays in Foxborough and it always snows there. So, like, so like we've got, like, everything, okay? Tom Brady's got it all. Tom Brady was interviewed famously and said, you know, I've got all this, all this acclaim, rings, the hot wife, and like, what's next? He do, like, I, I, it, doesn't, it doesn't do it for me. So, so you're either going to be like, what's next if you keep, keep going and pressing for the acceptance you know, from people, or you're going to burn out, and eventually you're going to get flabby like Arnold. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Have you seen Arnold Schwarzenegger? Okay, long, a long time ago, he was jacked. Now he's got moobs. Like, this is Arnold. Moobs are inevitable, men. Okay, they're coming for you. They will get you. Both, you know, both the burnout of Arnold, he gave up, he got flabby, or the discontentment of Brady are the opposite of peace. Trying to seek that peace from people is going to lead you to those places. And so does trying to seek peace with God through hard work. That's actually going to lead you to disappointment with the whole, with I don't feel enough peace or discontentment with Jesus. I worked hard, but what else? Maybe I need to join a small group, a community group, a new church, read some more books, have a more disciplined prayer life, accountability group, get covenant eyes on my computer, more boundaries with my boyfriend and girlfriend. There, there are so many things you can do, but they're not going to bring you peace. You see, there's, there, there's no peace through hard work. And when you see that, when you understand that, you're either going to stop working or you're going to rest in Jesus. True biblical peace comes not through the hard work of obeying laws and rules, but through the harder work of believing. But believing in what? Well, I put on your sheet that very like, strange verse that Jesus says, look, I came not to bring peace, but to bring a sword. Now, wait a minute. Doesn't it just contradict everything I've been saying? Look, he did come to bring peace. 
He did come to bring fruit of the Spirit, which is peace. Now, what is he saying there in, in, in that verse in the Gospels when he says, I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring a sword. Well, he's coming to bring justice. He really is coming to bring peace. He's going to bring justice on all sin. See, the problem with our peace is we have sin. Sin's the cause of our disharmony. We're the cause of our disharmony. He's bringing a sword to take care of that. Now, what's the deal is, is that the sword is going to fall either on us or on him. And so God's sword is coming, but he's going to stand in the way of it. So he's coming to bring the sword upon himself so that he's going to stand in the way of that sword, the cross, so that we could have peace with God. Uh, there's a verse in Isaiah that says, The chastisement upon him brought us peace. By his stripes we're healed. The center of everything that's going to bring us peace is believing that I can't bring peace and that Jesus had to bring me peace. We're all afraid of God's sword. We're all afraid of that. But Jesus says, I bring it. I bring the sword so that you can have peace. Jesus brought a sword and he fell on it for us to bring us peace. At the cross, God's mercy and his love kiss his justice and his wrath. You see them both in their extreme high definition when you see the cross. You see the extreme love of God for sinners and the extreme judgment on sin that Jesus bore for all those who are connected to him. And so if Jesus, if Jesus loves me, and the Bible tells me so, and then I simply believe that Jesus died for me, that that was for me, that I believe that God's love and acceptance and peace offering of his son, then I start slipping away from anger and trying to get people like I did in the football game, in the arena football league. But I got, I got kicked out of an arena two football game. A moment of glory to a moment of shame. I was in a gas station recently, and, and a young guy, probably 16 years old, pulls in, and I'm doing the back end of the space to get gas, and he does the front end thing, and it's a Seinfeld dilemma of he came in first, I came in first, but then he came in front ways, and so I've either got to move out of the way or he's going to move, and it's a standoff. What did I do? I didn't get out and punch him. I let him go. I let him go and have the gas first, and he smirked at me, and I wanted to punch him still, <laughs> but I didn't. Yeah, thank you, thank you. I, I, I'm, I'm slipping. <laughs> I'm slipping, aren't I? Um, I'm slipping, but I'm slipping into something far better. And, and what's happened here is Jesus has made the peace of, between him and me enter into this place of disharmony. That the peace of God, has, through the sword that's been upon all my sin, actually helps me to, to hold looser to vengeance. And it makes me a peacemaker. And I can't be a peacemaker apart from knowing that. Um, just let me close this, guys, before we get out of here. There's a, there's a story in, about, in South Korea where a pastor noticed a need. Now, in South Korea, there's a huge epidemic. This is just as recently as May 2013. I read this, where babies are being abandoned. It's typically babies who are deformed uh, or, or have some sort of birth defects or just in general not wanted by the mothers. They are abandoned all over the place. And so this pastor produced something that's called his baby box. And literally the translation on there reads, put baby in here. Okay, so he says, bring your baby to this box. Put it in here. It's well known. You can bring your unwanted baby to this guy. And so you look at the, you, you actually watch the documentary called Dropbox. And he has children running all over his house. 
He's taking care of these children. Mothers who wanted to kill these children and leave them behind. These children have found life there in the drop box. And so the guy who actually made this documentary says that he became a Christian through making it. He saw the babies bundled up and, and that they had you know, pur- purpose and love and care from this man giving of himself and his wife so selflessly. And, and he saw himself in the boxes, that he's the one who ought to be left behind, that he's the baby, helpless, and God takes him, cares for him. And that's one way to look at the story. But I think a more gospel way of looking at the story, that's, 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 that's good. But also another way of looking at it is, you know, in the gospel, we're like the moms in that story. And we leave the baby behind. That's, that's our evil with God. We've left the baby behind, and the baby's Jesus. We don't want Jesus. We want to do it ourselves. Jesus, left behind as he is, crucified according to our sins, is then the, is raised, so to speak. We left him for dead. He's raised, and then he's the only way we can have life. And rather than coming to us and, and seeking out vengeance for our abandonment of him and seeking to kill him, he blesses us. That's the gospel. That the only person who can bring us peace we've abandoned, we have crucified with our sin, we've left forsaken. And that is the hero of the story. That's the one who comes and makes us peace with God, not us. If we try to work harder, we're always going to end up disillusioned, disheartened, and burnt out. But if we do the harder work of believing in that, we will, we will find peace, that Jesus brings that to us. And so I ask you tonight, if you're struggling with that, of who is this God? Who is He? How do I know i got the right one? There's one religion out there. How do you know? Like, none of us have read all the religious texts out there, y'all. None of us. None of us can say we've done that. Should you trust in Christianity just by faith, by hearing that message and, and believing in it and resting your whole existence on that, even when you haven't checked under every rock for every religion out there? Yes, you should. Because the message of every other religion is simply try harder. But the gospel tells you believe in somebody who's done it for you, who's laid in the box and been killed because of our sin and raised to life in his resurrection to bring us life and redemption and to heal us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you're good to us. Help us to believe in the peace which surpasses all understanding, uh, your peace. Uh, Those of us that have questions tonight, Lord, I pray that you would um, answer those, that you would meet us there, uh, and that we could come to you and and, and pour our questions out to you of where were you when when we were hurting. Uh, why are you not? Why do you seem like you're not answering us, Lord? And that you'd meet us in those and speak to us through your Word and assure us of your love for us, uh, because you would not even spare your Son, but surely you'd give us all things. Lord, would you would you do these things, and we will give you the glory in Christ's name? We pray. Amen.